Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. It's not a right lot on the agenda today, just that thrilling 3-2 win over Leicester City on Wednesday evening. What a night at the King Power Stadium with Stephen Bergwijn's stoppage time double giving Spurs all three points. So we will be discussing that win. We'll also be looking ahead to Sunday's game against Chelsea and then the January transfer window. Alistair Gold is joining me as ever. It wasn't a bad night at all, was it, in Leicester? No, it really wasn't at all. And I love the fact that you've started the podcast with the heaviest dose of sarcasm possibly you've <laughs> ever put into a podcast. Yeah, we've got so much to talk about. Last night was was absolutely one of those games that football is all about. It's just, you know, you and I both had um, slightly awkward journeys back after the game, you know, diversions in place, roads closed. But to be honest, I don't know about you, but I didn't really care because I think my mind was playing over those just dramatic final minutes of that match over and over and over again. And it does. It still puts a smile on my face today. You know, Leicester fans, of course, will not be smiling today. And we've seen certain videos where they're very unhappy. But um, in terms of Tottenham, and, you know, Leicester have had their great days. So they can, they can let Spurs have one night. But I just felt on a very much, much, much smaller scale, it was a bit Amsterdam-esque. It was a little bit like the night in Ajax, you know. It's, of course, before I get loads of people saying, oh, my God, how can you compare the two? I'm not saying it was anywhere near the same scale, but it just had that kind of vibe, the feeling just... And I hope, in terms of, you know, the players on the pitch, and you saw them afterwards, hopefully this is a big night it was in Antonio Conte's era. I think you were just missing the beer over your laptop as well, what had come down <laughs> from all the Ajax fans. So, yeah, what a night, though. Uh, I mean, the game really should have been dead and buried. It could have been dead and buried at half time, but, yeah. you know, I think everyone would have been happy with getting the three points, but I think winning in this manner can just do so much to this Tottenham team and Antonio Conte over the remaining games. I think Spurs finally halfway through the season now, Three, I think, four games in hand on Chelsea, three games in hand on potentially West Ham. So, you know, Spurs could move up to uh, third if everything goes uh, smoothly with the games in hand. But, yeah, uh, I mean, what a, what a performance. I think in terms of the game itself, for a neutral, it must have been a great game to watch because it was just literally end-to-end at times. And Spurs dominated proceedings. I know Pats and Dakar put Leicester ahead. But prior to that, Kane hit the crossbar, had one cleared off the line. Sanchez hit the side netting with a header. And then it was just like typical Tottenham, really, just not taking your chances and falling behind. But credit to them, they kept going right until the end and until the very last second. And thankfully, they've come away with all three points. So what did you make of the game? It was a strange game in that you and I, I think, were kind of we were readying our kind of pieces for the final whistle, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was like, it was really awkward because we were having to be quite, I suppose, negative in some aspects about a performance that had been quite positive. And it was it was really strange. And it was like, it was a performance where you could tell the one positive side effect from the Arsenal game being postponed was that Conte had had seven days on the pitches at Hotspur way to work with him. You could see it. Everything, the whole plan, the whole setup. You know, we all kind of looked at the team before and thought, you know, Wink, Skip and Hoybier all in the middle. So, oh, it's Crystal Palace all over again. You know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a creative 
you know, dearth and absolute absence of creativity. And but it was anything but. I think they had something like twenty-seven shots on goal. Spurs ten on target. Um, they played really well. And and yeah, Harry Kane, who I thought, despite a few misses, was superb on the night. You know, he he did. He had. You know, I forgot about the other shot he had off the line. Uh, I think it might have hit the post, but it, yeah, that was cleared off the line. And the one when Lucas put him through, he was running clear and he blazed it over the bar. Um, and yeah, the header against the crossbar, he was unmarked, probably should have done better. And that was just, just something, you know, the amount of shots that Spurs had. Lucas had a couple, I remember, Schmeichel having a turn away. Um, so it was, it was a performance that... And, and, you know, we've got to be fair to Leicester. They're a patched-up Leicester squad as well. You know, they're missing some of their kind of big stars they'd normally play. But I suppose if you're going to be fair this season, that's something that all teams have gone through, and Spurs certainly know that. There's going to be games where they're going to have to mix and match. Um, but I thought Spurs played really well, and I was, I was really kind of not gutted, but I kind of was sorting out my player ratings. I was kind of thinking, it's so unfair. I'm going to have to give this player a six or a seven. And I kind of feel that, Take away the two like silly goals that Spurs conceded, the rest of their play was really good. And thankfully, Stevie Bergvine pops up, changes everything, and we can kind of resort back to how we were going to describe the game in the first place, which, which is really good. And uh, yeah, it was it was a good night. It was it was. I just do you know who I felt deserved it the most was the Tottenham away fans. They were brilliant. We heard them all through the night. You know, they're in a little pocket over there. Um, in the corner, but ultimately they outsang the Leicester fans so much of the game. Um, they were so good, and and they deserved that moment to celebrate with the players as well. It was brilliant. We've watched all the videos because where we were, you know, we could see certain things going on. But I think it was only when we saw the videos of the things happening over there, it was just absolute carnage. But thankfully, in a good way. It didn't look like there were any problems. It looked like just really good-natured stuff and. Uh, yeah, like I say, football is meant for nights like that. It really is. Yeah, credit to the Oasis part. Didn't stop singing from the first minute to the very last. And, you know, given the current situation across the country, the fact it was a midweek game and the date was only announced, I think it was two weeks ago, you know you've got to give everyone praise for turning up uh, to the game, full allocation, and they played a massive part in helping Spurs get over the line. So it's great for everyone there to be rewarded with all the players celebrating in front of them after that Stephen Bergwijn winner. So let's talk about Stephen Bergwijn anyway, because uh, it's been a bit of a mixed start to the season for him, shall we say. Started well, injury, then struck, and he's just found himself in and out of the team. Uh, Conte, in his pre-match press conference head of the postponed Arsenal game, did state that Bergwijn was back, but he would be on the bench, uh, not ready to start yet. And I think a few people, uh, myself included, thought he could be named in the team against Leicester if they were going to go with a 3-4-3 formation. But no, uh, Conte left him on the bench, instead went with that three-man midfield and then brought him on with about 15 minutes to go. Two chances, two goals, you know, more than took his chance, didn't he? He did. He did. It was, um, you know, you and I, I think, we're among the, I don't know if it's a minority or not, I don't know, I don't, or, or maybe it's a majority, I don't know, and it's just, they're just a quieter majority, I don't know, that quite believe in Stephen Bergwijn. You know, I, I think every time pretty much he plays for Spurs, he brings something to the team. 
the problem we all know has always been that confidence and the finishing. That, that's what it's been. But everything else, he works so hard. He creates for Spurs. Um, he started the season really well. Nuno was raving about him at the start of the season. And then, yeah, he just had... He's had a weird season. He started really well, got injured, came back, took the Netherlands to the World Cup with that brilliant goal and an assist, got injured again. Conte really didn't see much of him. Then he got to have him against West Ham and he scored twice. Didn't um, No, scored once, set up a goal, didn't he? Then got injured again. Now he's back and he's scored two terrific goals late on to, to win a huge match. And, you know, I... I know people have heard me and my opinions on Adama Traore, but when I hear people calling desperately for someone who, you know, the other day scored his first goal in something like 28, 30 matches, um, when Spurs have got someone in Stephen Bergwijn who I've looked into all of his numbers, his stats, his creativity and end product far exceeds Adama Traore's. And it's kind of almost like because he's had those frustrating injuries, maybe people just forget that, you know, potentially there's a solution there in Steven Bergvine. You know, I'm not saying Spurs don't need new signings before anyone goes, oh, he's trying to claim they don't need to spend money. They do. They really do. But I think Bergvine, this is why when I heard about all the Ajax stuff and the beard that was rejected, it was like, why would Spurs let him go? He's still young. And it's still much, you know, what Conte could do with him, I think he, he could really develop him. You know, he could even turn him into a, a converted wing-back. I think we've suggested that before. Um, and, yeah, last night was just a chance to kind of, I think, see all of that in action. Um, he was an absolute nuisance. He was told to go up and play alongside Kane, essentially as a second striker, which is, to be fair to Conte, it's what he's been telling everyone that Bergwijn can do. Um, so that was what he told him to do. He did that. He caused problems. He had that moment, didn't he, where he um, got a bit of a scuffle because he he went down perhaps slightly easily and Leicester players were very unhappy with it. Um, got himself a yellow card. Then, yeah, then he pops up in the box. Perfect place. Bit of a striker's instinct, you know, to finish the loose ball after Doty's little run-in. Then, do you know what? That goal... Um, the reason I think I could compare it slightly to the Ajax uh, final goal is that there's the composure. And it's just so strange. It's almost like chaos around, tight, the seconds ticking away, yet the move for the goal is probably the most calm and composed move you'll see Tottenham play all season. You know, Hoybier cutting out an absolutely dreadful pass from Tielemans. I don't know what he was thinking at that point in the game. Um, Hoybier... Cuts it out, passes simple ball to Kane, who plays an exquisitely weighted through ball to Bergvine, sprints through, takes it maybe slightly too far past um, Schmeichel, but then picks out the only finish <laughs> that was going to score the goal. You know, because he had to not only kind of get it towards goal, but he had to also beat Soyuncu, I think, was running back, wasn't he, as well? And he just put it in that sweet spot right inside the left-hand post. So it went in and just, just watched the side you kind of punch the ball in anger on the floor as it kind of went over. Um, it was it was brilliant. And he's he's an interesting character, Stephen Bergwijn. He, he's, whenever you interview him, he comes across as very serious. He's a very serious chap. Um, very obviously kind of focused on his, I suppose, focused on what he's got to do. 
Um, not one for, you know, I don't see him do many interviews. I don't think he's a massive fan of them. Uh, doesn't do too many for Spurs and the club either. Um, but he's well-liked. You know, that's not to say, this is not to say he's an awkward character or anything. I think he's just a guy that doesn't like media stuff. Seems very popular within the group. And I think we could see that. In those celebrations, the players were as happy for Bergvine as they were about the result, I think. I think it was a lot of, you know, oh, you know, thank goodness for Stevie. Um, and yeah, it was brilliant. Celebrations were just incredible. You know, we had um, Lucas jumping into the arms of a steward <laughs> who knew nothing about it. Did it Hold twice it as well. Lucas did it twice. He initially he did, yeah. took someone's hat off, threw it on the floor, one of the fans, <laughs> jumped on the back of a steward then went onto the pitch, embraced with Oliver Skip, then just turned back and thought, yeah, I'll do it again. And he did yeah. it and just waving his hands to the crowd. So, I saw yeah. on Twitter someone's done a comparison between him held aloft with his arm in the air to Pele and the World <laughs> Cup photo. <laughs> and then the Silk so randomly jumped on a steward as well. The poor stewards are thinking, we're trying to keep the Spurs fans back and you're not jumping on us. I didn't even realise at the time that the hoarding broke and the Spurs fans kind of spilled forward a bit. Um it's one of those where, you know, I think pedantic people might say, oh, you know, they caused a real problem in that corner and all that. I'm sorry. For me, especially as it was dealt with really well, I felt by the Leicester stewards, I think it was all within the spirit of the moment. You know, it was it was, it was was such a lovely moment for those fans that, you know, in the, a very cold night in Leicester of being rewarded. The players, you know, Harry Kane, Harry Kane was screaming with passion. He was just shouting and bellowing and... Uh, and I mean, you noticed something quite interesting about Ben Davies, didn't you, in the celebrations? Yeah, just watching a video back on Twitter, someone uh, put a video up just basically to show Larice running the full length of the pitch and just watching it back. Ben Davies doesn't go with the rest of the team. Ben Davies instead goes towards his left, uh, back towards the technical area where Antonio Conte and all the players are just jumping about and he just joins in with them uh, there. So that was... Really interesting, but the post-match celebration. Comparison, didn't he do that on that night? I feel like I remember him running to Poch, where everyone else went over to It was either him or Dyer. Someone ran over to Poch. I think it was Dyer's sub. Dyer was sub at the time, I think, because I can remember he had the jumper on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I think so. We'll have to... Honestly, it so, so good. And it's funny, I had a question. Someone asked me um, afterwards, like it was on Twitter or WhatsApp somewhere. Someone said, how do you as a journalist kind of keep your like professional in moments like that? Because obviously it's just utter chaos. And I mean, I think we both did. I think I may have swore a couple of times because mostly because of the excitement of it, but also because of the fact that we knew we had to change a lot of what we'd written. Um, but I never, ever, ever would be upset at moments like that or, or not being able to, you know, I don't know. I think I don't care about changing copy in moments like that. It's They're the stuff that as journalists we're absolutely privileged to be able to witness. We really are. Yeah, I think those are the nights as well where you look back and, and just remember how good it was and it doesn't matter. Like you said, you're changing your copy late on. It's just a memorable, uh, memorable occasion. And, you know, I, I wasn't in Amsterdam myself for that game. I was watching it on telly that night. 
But those celebrations at the end, that's the closest Tottenham have got to recreating that feeling uh, in almost three years now. So, yeah, fantastic night. Just going back to Bergwijn, I didn't realise he was that small. Just watching back the (laughs) post-match interview next to Harry Kane, he's literally just up to Kane's shoulders. He's a stocky, I, a stocky chap. Yeah, a little stocky chap. Yeah, I didn't realise he was uh, that small in comparison to Kane. Uh, but no f- credit to Stephen Bergwijn. I've always said it. I think he's a confidence player. He always yeah. just looked like, especially last season, he didn't score until the penultimate game against Aston Villa. And then that was probably too late into the season to give him a confidence boost with one game left. Uh but, I mean, scoring the goal will have done wonders for him. But scoring the goal in those circumstances will have just boosted confidence sky high. So, yeah, hopefully we'll start to see the very best of Stephen Bergwijn over the next few weeks because big few weeks coming up for Tottenham now, especially in the uh, top four race. So, yeah. yeah. It's about fitness, isn't it? It's about fitness with Bergwijn. Yeah. He clearly, I don't know, and this is just speculating, I don't know whether there's... Um, an issue with him that maybe he needs to improve the way he looks after himself. I don't know. Again, this is me speculating, but he does pick up a lot of those little injuries as well. Um, And that may be, sometimes you get that with younger players. They just haven't quite worked out exactly how to manage their body properly and what it needs to be done. I don't know. Um, But I think that's maybe just the go-to first thought when someone picks up a lot of those injuries, Um, you know, if he if he can get a regular run, there's no reason he can't do. But I was always felt really disappointed when I see on Twitter people saying, "Oh, get rid of player X, Y, Z," and the Bergvine was always among them. And I was like, "No, he's one that's really got potential." I mean, I've even seen it with Brian Hill. People are saying, "Get rid of Hill already." He's like, "No, give these young players a chance." You know, they're um, like you just said, confidence players, especially in that position. That really is what it's all about. We're seeing that with Lucas. You know, Lucas gone through long spells without producing much. But when he's confident, you see a completely different Lucas. And uh, to be fair, that's probably the same in any position. But, um, you know, we want instant success. That's what we demand as um, as football fans. Hopefully this just puts all the talk of Stephen Bergwijn going to Ajax to bed because, and I'm not just saying this after his two goals last night, but I thought it would be crazy to get rid of him now at this time of the season because, like he says, he can he can play up front. Uh, Conte said that. He can play through the middle as potentially Kane's on the study. He can play the two with Kane, can play out wide. He's got all the attributes to be such a good player. He's just had... A bit of rotten luck, really. It's just been such a stop-start time for him at Tottenham in his uh, two years at the club. But, you know, fingers crossed, we'll start to see the real Steven Bergwijn now over the next few months. Uh, Mark threw something at the telly when he scored that second goal. <laughs> probably, yeah. Shall we uh, talk about another substitute now? Uh, yeah. Matt Doherty. I was tweeting at halftime, Matt Doherty's coming on. You'll have got exactly the same as me. Yeah. And a lot of people replying, basically, why is he coming on? That's the nice thing to say. We don't want to swear on here. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, Emerson Royale just didn't have an impact on the game uh, at right wing back. And a few of our colleagues were at the game last night being wined and dined. And I think they said exactly the same to you, didn't they? Like Emerson's yeah. just not had a impact on the uh, game. So 
Matt Doherty came on and literally within a couple of minutes uh, played very well, didn't they? Made an instant impact, uh, linked up well with Kane and uh, yeah, had an impact for the second goal as well. Really good shift from him. That was the Matt Doherty that Spurs bought. <laughs> That's exactly the one they wanted to bring in. And, you know, Matt Doherty gets a lot of flack. If I'm going to be, I think you have to be absolutely fair to him as well, though, and say, you know, and we've said this before, recent weeks, he's been playing on the left, which just does him no favours whatsoever. He's a right wing back who's played in that role for much of his career and was brought to Tottenham to play as a right back instead and had to essentially relearn how to be a right back. Um, I just feel like last night was almost like the first chance to say, to show, let's see what he can do in the contest system properly. Let's see what he can actually do. You know, I know he's had a couple of chances before, but I felt like the chips were down and it was very much, you know, what could he do? Uh, what could he show that was more than Emerson last night? I thought he did. I thought he his movement was the biggest thing for me. He was making so many runs in behind, and that was what we saw at Wolves when, whenever there was someone was crossing from the left, you'd often find Doherty popping up at the back post to get involved and, and try and you know be an extra member of the attack. And he was doing exactly that. I mean, there was a what were there, there were a couple of early um, I think link ups with Kane. Then he had a left footed shot that went wider the the left hand post. Then he had found himself right in front of Schmeichel later on, but he just tried to turn the ball past him. It was so close that kind of Schmeichel smothered it. And then obviously for the um, Spurs' second goal, it was a terrific run, great ball from Hoybier. And then he kind of, he almost kind of ran into problems, didn't he, in the middle. But then he's actually, he's been credited with the assist because I think he got the final touch to knock it to Bergwijn. Um, and obviously Bergwijn lashed it at home. So... I wonder whether it's come too late, that performance. You know, I wonder whether it ends up being more of a shop window performance and maybe it, it helps him get a move, whether it's back to Wolves or wherever. Um, but I just feel it's quite sad in a way. If that is the case, then, you know, you said it before the match. You absolutely called it that at the end of last season, Doherty was superb away at Leicester as well. It's clearly it's, it's a place he likes playing. It must be um, something about playing in the Midlands because he yeah. was excellent at Wolves. Played well, like I said, last season at Leicester yeah. and then last night, very good. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's home. Maybe he's home. Well, he's not quite home because he's Irish, but you know what I mean. He's, he was there for more than a decade. Um, yeah, I thought he played really well. And um, yeah, it's a big question now about the Chelsea game, you know, whether you keep with him because I think he should be quite confident after that. But then again, like I say, whether there's some transfer movement around him or not. Um, but yeah, that was definitely the, the the Doherty that Tottenham wanted and he was so much fun. Emerson just, I'd say it was, in an attacking sense, one of his worst performances for Spurs. He just offered so little. You know, we often say the same, that when, when he runs forward with the ball, your kind of, your gut feeling is the best case scenario is maybe Spurs get a corner out of it because you just know the ball's probably not going to get into the box. And that was one of those nights last night. He just Spurs had so much possession, so much attacking stuff, but none of it came through him. It was more through Regulon left uh, in the first half. Second half, that completely changed the dynamic, and it was all about the right-hand side and Doherty. And, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm intrigued to see what happens with Matt Doherty. I, like I said, my gut feeling is maybe it's too late. 
Um, and you know, he's 30 now. He turned 30 the other day, uh, which doesn't look 30, to be fair play. <laughs> to be fair to him, he doesn't look a 30-year-old. Um, but yeah, no, it's a good, good night for him. Good night for two players that really have been linked with heading out of the club and they kind of showed, you know, we can, we can contribute. Just going back to Emerson, I think I put in the uh, talking point after the game that I know Adama Traore has been heavily linked and uh, a lot of fans aren't happy with it. But that last night just seemed to be, it would have been the perfect game for Traore just because there was so much space down that right at times. And uh, it was just basically because Leicester kept leaving gaps, but then Emerson just wasn't exploiting that space. So though it is coming took his chance and yeah I agree with you I think there's a question mark over that position now and out of the two I'd probably uh, be favouring Doherty I think just like Bergwijn really he's maybe had a bit of a torrid time at Tottenham at times when he's come in obviously he's Great a right wing back then, yeah played that uh, played as a right back under Jose Mourinho when right wing back's his better position left wing back the past couple of weeks you know, that'll give him a, a a big confidence boost, whether he does end up leaving Tottenham or he does stay at the club beyond the, the transfer window. Uh, someone else who I think had a very good game, and I know you were waxing lyrical about him, I think, in your talking points, Pierre-Emile Hoybier. Not really seen the best of him in uh, recent weeks. Uh, coming for a bit of criticism from some, but started in the midfield three with Harry Winks and Oliver Skip and best game for a while I think from uh, the Dane yeah yeah I think so I had someone afterwards tell me off for my ratings I gave him a nine I go, it's a joke of a rating I was like really <laughs> oh, it was really good I thought he kind of marshaled the midfield pretty much for long periods um, crucial in both of the late goals I thought he played well his ball to Doherty for the second goal was, was superb it was so perfectly curled in um, I thought he played really well. I thought the midfield three, I mean, yeah, you touched on it earlier. I thought the midfield three worked quite well on the whole. Um, I thought Harry Winks obviously played that lovely ball to Kane. Um, another, you know, another, um, it's that little kind of dinked ball over the top that he plays really well. Um, and he is, you know, for someone labelled a sideways passer, he's coming out with quite a few of those in the Conte era. Um, I thought he played well. The only thing I'd say about Harry Wings, I still want to see him be a bit stronger in the tackle sometimes. I feel there's sometimes where he loses out on 50-50s that he shouldn't. Um, I think that's kind of the next stage for him. I thought Skippy had another kind of energetic, productive game. If he can just add the final third stuff to his game, I think he is going to be such a complete player. He really is. I think that's something Conte... Well, Conte's already... I think he said that to me, didn't he? In the question I asked, that that's what he's going to work with him on, so that decision-making when he gets into the final third. Because there's so many times he'll win the ball back. Um, I think he won it back for the first goal, didn't it? I think it was he that won it. Was it Skippy won it back and played it to Winks, wasn't it? I think... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. If if the amount of times he bursts into the opposition half, if if Conte can just teach him the right thing to do with the ball in that moment it's going to be a hell of a player um but yeah now the three worked last night you know all three kind of took turns in in being the more advanced the one trying to play balls through I think Winks in the first half did it better I think in the second half it was Hoybier. um but yeah for Hoybier, you know 
he's looked a little off the pace since he came back from that little kind of absence. And I think this was him starting to look more of his, his old self. It's got a really fascinating relationship with Conte. Um, afterwards in the celebrations, you can kind of see everyone else, there was like a real passionate hug with him. It was like, a, I don't know, it's almost like two old men kind of discussing that. It was really weird the way that, if you've got to watch, I think it's one of the Spurs videos that's been put out. I think it's the, the post-match stuff. And he's just like, I don't know, he's almost like a manager talking to another manager. He, he kind of has that vibe about him, that he's on the same level as the manager. It's really strange. Um, but no, really, really impressed with him last night. He was he was one of a few that I thought did really well on the night. I didn't hype yet. He's got an old head on young shoulders. Yes. He seems, uh, you know, very in tune with the managers and the thinking and that. And I mean, that's why he's such a, an important leader in that Tottenham midfield. And that's basically, you know, why he's in the team. He's a very good player as well, but he's a leader. And we saw that last season. In his first season at the club, he made such an impact in the midfield and that helped tighten up what was a pretty leaky defence prior to that. Shall we talk about Harry Kane? So I think we need yeah. to talk a bit more about Kane. He was excellent last night. Best performance in ages from him. Yeah. I mean, you said it right at the start of the show. He could have had a handful of goals last night. Yeah. Hit the bar, one cleared off the line, blazed one over. Set set a goal up. Obviously, scored a very good goal as well when he turned uh, inside Sionchu and found the bottom corner. Uh, he's coming into form at the right time of the season now. I think. Mm, yeah, I think I think it's the Conte effect. I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing a player who believes in the manager and believes where he's going and what he can do. I think we're seeing a fitter Harry Kane. Although he was absolutely shattered, and you know that he produced a ball of that quality for that third goal in added time, when he was, oh, we saw him a few times essentially like bending over and just breathing really heavily. Um, but he was excellent. If you know Bergvine for me probably nicked the man of the match because of the late stuff he did. Um, but I really think that Kane was pushing up there with Hoybier as well for man of the match because. If you take away a couple of ropey shots, the rest of his game was so good. He was, he was, um, you know, pressing up there. He was. There was one run he did. He tracked back. He sprinted from the uh, Leicester box, pretty much. Well, it was. It was all the way back into the Spurs box and made a clearance. I think it was Madison had gone through. Uh, Leicester had broken, and it was, you know. He did a lot of that. At times, he was playing in a deeper role. Then suddenly, he was the target man. Um, you know, we saw it, the, the passion in his celebrations, the passion in the way he kind of fought Schmeichel for the ball when it was in the net after Bergwijn's first goal. There was absolutely no let's celebrate an equaliser. That wasn't good enough. It was like, we should be winning this game. And, and you know, it was one of those days where that absolutely happened. Um, no, I was delighted with Hurricane yesterday. I thought the finish, I mean, the the touch, turn inside and the finish, where that was like prime Kane. That was him and his absolute peak. Um, and, yeah, I th- I'd hope that we're now going to see a little bit of a, a run from Kane. I think so. I mean, obviously, Sunday's a difficult match, but then, you know, you see the fixtures that are coming up, I think, I think we'll start to see him building up the goals and uh, getting back to where he was 
um, as long as he doesn't pick an injury. This is just the one thing, you know, touch wood, this is a kind of time of year, isn't it, when he picks up that either an ankle injury or a little hamstring injury. So hopefully he doesn't. Um, but no, I was really, really, really impressed with Kane last night. He was, I often, I'm one of those who I think sometimes will criticise Harry Kane for not being a leader when he should be. Um, I've seen that sometimes, but I felt last night he was one of the team's leaders. He really, really pushed everyone on. And uh, yeah, I think they all fed off of that as well. I know you mentioned his goal and the player was classic Kane. I fought for that one earlier when he had the shot cleared off the line by Luke Thomas. I thought that was absolutely fantastic footwork yeah. in the area just to create some space. And, you know, extremely unlucky. I think you've got to give a lot of praise there to Luke Thomas for getting it off the line because it did look like he was going to go in off the post. Uh, yeah, Kane, I think we've said it a few times this season. I think that especially after the game against Newcastle in October where he's got that really good goal and you're thinking, yeah, now he's going to kick on and it just didn't happen for him but he he's definitely looking more like his old self he's looking a lot sharper uh, I think on another day could have ended up with a hat-trick yesterday given the amount of chances he uh, had and hopefully we'll be uh, putting the ball in the net a few more times between now and the end of the season this win last night I mean that was huge come May how important do you think this win is going to be is this potential Champions League place deciding win? Um, it's down to the players now, isn't it, really? It's one of those where absolutely you should be able to take that as a, a huge night in your season. It showed character, it showed spirit, it showed what they're capable of. It was with a team that was patched up in some elements. You know, we're going to have, uh, I think probably one of the slight downsides today maybe was the defence. I think the defence was a little bit shaky still. But then you look at the fact that you've got Romero to come into that quite soon. You've got Dyer to come into that quite soon. You've got Sonny to come back as well um, further up the pitch. And and obviously any new additions that we get over the next, you know, was it 10, 11 days? So it should be used as a springboard. The amount of times you and I have said that things should happen <laughs> in terms of our favourite expression on paper, um, it really should. It, it was a night that, should have galvanised the squad. Uh, you know, I felt Conte has been slightly down recently, a little bit kind of, a little bit quiet. Last night was a return to the screaming, prowling, jumping um, Conte that we've seen on the touchline. And, yeah, I'd hope, you know, I think, I can't remember who said it. It was someone, maybe one of the reporters we were, we were speaking to yesterday, or maybe it was yourself, if Spurs had just won the game comfortably, let's say 3-0, I think people might have just said, oh, it's a patched up Leicester squad. Yeah, you know, that's what they should have done anyway. But I think the manner of the victory, the way they rallied and the character they showed and the togetherness at the end and everything, I think that just has so much more of a snowball effect. Um, yeah, no, it's really good. And, and then I forgot to say this earlier, but I, I've been told that Conte before the game um, had, had promised the players that if they beat Leicester, he'd give them a few days off um, next week when the uh, the international break starts for South American and Asian players. That he'd, he'd give the rest of the players a few days off, and I was told that if they if they can get a positive result against Chelsea, um, then they'll get even more added on top uh, because you know 
they haven't had many days off at all recently. Mostly that's to do with the scheduling, also to do with the fact that Conte has absolutely been working them like mad because he wants that extra fitness. He wants his methods in place, the philosophy. Um, so, yeah, now I understand that a few golfing holidays have already been booked up and uh, <laughs> players will be now heading off and, and relaxing. And uh, they'll know, though, that that second week when they come back is going to be like a, a mini preseason, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, no, it, Spurs have to use it as a, as a positive, you know, as long as they don't absolutely mess up at Stamford Bridge on Sunday and, and undo any momentum they had. Uh, hopefully, that can be a yeah, the start of something. So, if the celebrations at Stamford Bridge potentially are as wild as they were at the King Power, it's basically because. They're having a few extra days off now and no more running next week. Yeah, well, well I think <laughs> if they get a decent result against Chelsea, I think he might even be letting them come back the following Monday. So they might get a full week off kind of thing. I think if they don't if they if they if they don't do well against Chelsea, I think they have to come back either the following weekend or before. But I think they are going to get almost five, six, maybe a week off. Um which I suppose at this time of year, it's almost like a winter, it is essentially a winter break for them, isn't it? Um, and then you might see the benefits, especially in a team like Conte's. It's so it's so important, the running and the, the pressing and the distance covered and the, the work rate. Yeah, I don't think having a week off is going to be a bad thing at all for this set of players. No, so it was a huge, huge win uh, yesterday in, in terms of the top four race now. You know, Spurs win these games in hand and three games in hand over West Ham. Four now against Chelsea. They can, you know, I think if everything goes to plan and they win them all, I think they go four points above Chelsea into third. So, Well, if if you're going to be, I suppose, slightly realistic, it almost, and this is not me saying, let's throw the game, but they can afford to not win on Sunday and still overtake Chelsea if they were to win the other three matches. Yeah, so they're in a really good position at the moment with these games in hand, but I think you're going to have to just see how packed the schedule is going to be in the final few months because we're still waiting for new dates for the Burnley game, what was postponed in November, Brighton and Hove Albion was December, and then the Arsenal game last Sunday, which uh, didn't go ahead. But a lot of positives to take from uh, yesterday's win at the King Power, especially given... The fact that January hasn't been the best of months for Tottenham so far. They did get that late win against Watford, but then it was the two defeats against Chelsea in the Cup and then needing Harry Kane and Lucas to come on to see off League One side Markham in the FA Cup. So, fingers crossed, as you said, they can use this as, as a big stepping stone and just kick on from here. So, shall we talk about Chelsea on Sunday then? I know we've said... Potentially now Matt Doherty for Emerson coming into the team. Does Steven Bergwijn now start or does Conte just persist with that three-man midfield? It's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. There's two sides to the coin, really. There's Steven Bergwijn's just done, you know, fantastic stuff. And if he's fit enough in, you know, what is it? You know, three, four, four days time. It's not like it's a Saturday game. If he's fit enough, he probably has earned the right to start. And if he doesn't, it doesn't maybe send a great message if he is fit enough to start. But then on the flip side, 
the three midfielders did work quite well together and you're going to a place where you're not going to get a lot of possession unless you have a packed midfield. So it's, yeah, it is, it's, I wouldn't want to be Conte in this position because it is, you, you potentially put in a third attacker and lose the midfield battle or you put in a third midfielder but maybe sacrifice some creativity at a place like Sanford Bridge. You know, I think it's it's going to be it's different to create against a slightly patched up Leicester squad than it is to go to Chelsea and do the same with those three players. Um, yeah, and like you say, the wing back situation is another one. You know, Emerson or, or, or Doherty, and, and then what happens there? And it's a system, especially if you're going three five two, that relies so heavily on the wing backs being creative and, and putting balls into the box. I don't know. I'm torn. And torn. I think personally, as a man manager, you'd want to play Bergwijn, but tactically, whether it's the best thing is a, is a completely uh, different thing, really. Does that potentially mean bad news for Lucas? Then do you drop Lucas down to the bench because in the previous game against Chelsea in the cup, it was a three-man midfield as well. Mm, I can't see him dropping Lucas. I can't. I, I think he he constantly refers to Lucas as one of his most important players. I don't think you go to Chelsea and drop him. I mean, I suppose you could. I'd say Lucas wasn't great. It wasn't one of his best performances last night. He was quieter, certainly, than other games he's he's played. Um, Whether that's enough to drop him out of the team, I mean, it's not a bad shell. Perhaps you play Bergwijn up there with Kane. Maybe he has that shot, and then you've got Lucas's energy to come off the bench in the second half. Yeah, maybe I'll go with that. I think you swayed me. I think you have uh, great work there, Mr. Bergwijn. You, uh, Stephen Bergwijn's agent, Robert Guest. Good work. Bergwijn did actually play up front against Chelsea. It will have been two years ago now when Mourinho, yeah. Jose was managing. That was back five that day, wasn't it? I think yeah. the way, the way wing-backs play was more back five. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Hold-up play was really good. You know, you're saying about his height, but he, he kind of... He worked really hard and, and it was almost like a, a target man despite that height. Was that at the time Sonny was injured as well? Was that yeah. the week after Villa? So there was just no options up front because Kane was already out then with a hamstring injury. So. Yeah, and then Bergwijn got injured like wasn't it the next game against Burnley or something? Yeah, a couple of Burnley. Games yeah, so Conte's got some decisions on his hands. I mean, Chelsea coming into this game, they're not in the best of form at all. They just seem to be drawing a lot recently but as we both said uh, on the way into the stadium last night Chelsea haven't played, been playing brilliant recently but then they still beat Tottenham in both legs of the cup so well, it's an absolute canter as well yeah. didn't even get out of first gear yeah going to be a really interesting one because Chelsea are slipping up I mean they're, they're way out of the title race now I mean they're not going to catch Man City going on their form and a month ago you were probably looking at one Champions League place up for grabs, given Chelsea's current form, potentially two there now. So uh, all to play for on Sunday. Stamford Bridge hasn't been the best of places for Tottenham over the past 30 years. It's, to be honest, it's been a horrendous place to go. Uh, there was that win, was it 2018? Delhi's double. Delhi. Uh, Christian yeah. Eriksen's screamer as well. Uh yeah, a repeat of that would be nice. I mean, what are you expecting on Sunday? <laughs> I was about to say, more pain. Um, 
I'd like I say, I'd hope last night's heroics late on kind of create some momentum in the team and and they go into it with with more belief. You know, they certainly create a lot of chances. And I feel like second half in the second leg was it second half? Maybe mainly the second leg on the whole. They were probably the better team on the night, maybe, in the second leg. Second half, they played well and created chances, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, and if they can take something from But like I say, it's really got to be a big heavy caveat that Chelsea just, yeah, did, knew that they didn't really have to step up the gears. Um, yeah, I think it, it's a big match for Chelsea as well. I think, like you say, they need to get back on track and also they're fully in the knowledge that it is one of those games in hand that Tottenham have over them. Um, I don't know yet whether we'll have potentially Eric Dyer back or not. Um, if it is still that three-man defence of um, Davies, Sanchez and, and Tanganga, I'd be a little bit fearful. Although Conte, yeah, Conte would point probably to the fact that they only conceded that one goal against uh, in the second leg. Although you just feel with that defence, there just seems to be a calamity in it. Um, you know, even the goals last night, that first goal just bounced around the box about five times and eventually Regulon, unfortunately probably for him, was the only one to actually make a tackle and still managed to send it straight to the feet of Dakar. Um, second goal, I felt it was a little bit... You could criticise people not marking runners like Sanchez maybe not going with Madison, but I actually felt that was a really good goal from Leicester. It was a really nice move, nice um, reverse pass as well into his path. Um, actually, first goal as well. Larice was at fault. Rare Larice fault. I felt um, you know very weak hand on uh, Daka's shot. But yeah, I just feel like it needs a little bit of leadership in that back line. I still don't think Sanchez sits right in the centre of that defence. Although, funny enough, he had a couple of you know Paolo Maldini esque striding out of defence moments. He was there's a few ones where he beat a couple of players. He looked quite confident on the ball. But yeah, Tanganga's still looking a little bit shaky alongside him. So I think you need Dyer back. Um, but I don't know whether they'll push it or not or whether they just say, well, let's now give him the full two weeks of the um, the break and then we bring him back for Brighton. And you, could, you essentially, I mean, we were speaking about this just before we started recording this. You know, Conte could spend, after they've had their holidays, but he could spend the whole second week of this break drilling Dyer, Romero and Davies into a very, very good back three. Because I think it was you said, he's only had Romero twice, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, if he tests the game, he gets sent off and then Everton away, start of November. That's all we've yeah. seen of Romero because he got injured on international duty straight after that game at Goodison. So, yeah. yeah it's a defence, I think. I'd be really intrigued to see how he gets it working. Because he clearly likes Dyer, and Dyer has been in a good run of form. Romero is, I think, going to be absolutely class for Tottenham. I think he really is. I think Davies has come on leaps and bounds in that role under Conte. So if that defence works and the wing backs are flying, suddenly Spurs are a very different beast, you know, especially if, if the attack is starting to work as well and you've got the old Kane back. Um, hey, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get too carried away because we do this and then they go to Stamford Bridge and they get tonked and we have a very different podcast next week. Um, but hopefully, hopefully some nice green shoots and, you know, still nine unbeaten in the Premier League, Conte, yet to lose a game. As you mentioned, Christian Romero, 
obviously he's been back in training recently. He's working his way back to fitness. I know as nice as it would be to have him back in the squad and in the team at the weekend if he is fit, just don't name him. Because if you name him, Argentina will call him up. Some some Argentinian defender will get injured, he'll get called up, and there'll be a problem on international duty. You can see it now. So uh, Lacelso's going away, isn't he? Lacelso's the one. How many times has he gone away on international duty and come back with him? He's like two or three times, isn't it? Argentina, because yeah. I think there's a deal, isn't there? It's either the I think the FA of that company uh, country has to pay the wages, don't they? While the players are injured, if they're injured on their international duty, Argentina have probably paid most of Marcelo's wages during his time at Tottenham. He's had some mares with them. Um, hopefully for him, you know, he doesn't uh, doesn't come back with another injury. But uh, I know you want to also talk about another player who uh, hasn't or potentially isn't going on international duty. Yes, it's going to lead nicely now into uh, Son Heung-min, who uh, has been injured recently, uh, not featured since the first leg against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup. Uh, South Korea manager, it's Paolo Bento, it's called, it is, has yeah. been talking about him, has been talking about him today and whether he could be called up for their World Cup qualifiers. And basically... What he said, I think they're considering him. And I think, is it the well, Wolfsman? I'll tell you the quotes. Go, the go exact quotes were from Paolo Bento. For Son and Huang, that's the Wolves chap, isn't it? Who have physical issues. I'll keep considering on them. It's important to make a decision at the right timing. We don't have to make a decision now. And it's kind of, yeah, with the indication that he might still decide. Because I think they're... They're playing tomorrow. I think they've got a friendly tomorrow. I can't remember who it's against. But then they're playing... And there were two World Cup qualifiers, Lebanon on the 27th of January and 1st of February against Syria. And I think South Korea can qualify for the World Cup. So, understandably, as a country, you'd want your captain back. Yeah, you would. But surely, on paper, Lebanon and Syria, surely they should be beating them, even without some as much as you would want him back in your team just to get the job done. Yeah, I, I don't think the club will be delighted at Steven Bergwijn tonight for one aspect, in that you and I both saw before we came on this podcast, he'd put a little Instagram story up that had Sonny sprinting across the dressing room to whack some like shoe boxes off a pile um, in his flip-flops. It was a bit like, oh, don't do that, because it shows him moving very well. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean... I'd be very wary as a club of allowing, you know, a player to to go on international duty when they haven't really returned yet to play club football and they still are clearly in the final stages of rehabilitation. It's the same with Romero. I've seen some people say Romero should go away for minutes. I don't really agree with that. I think I think it would benefit him more to work with Conte because, like we said, he hasn't really had that time. Um, but I don't know how it works when it comes to World Cup qualifiers because these aren't really friendlies, are they? They're not the kind of ones that you can, you know, can say no. We're not letting them go in a way. Um, but yeah, I don't think Spurs would be happy at all if Son suddenly got a late call up to go and play in one or two of these matches. Um, I think the best thing for him really would be just to to get fit and uh, and play for Spurs. But look, if I'm if I'm South Korean, I'd quite probably would say the complete opposite and say, well, this is important for us. We want to get to the World Cup and, and he's our he's our best player. You know, we should have him back. But, yeah, I hope it doesn't create some kind of incident in the days ahead. 
Something always happens in international break, though, doesn't it? So yes. we're guaranteed something to crop up. But in an ideal world, fingers crossed, Romero, uh, you know, can use that time with Conte, Eric Dyer, Ben Davis, and, you know, get that three man defence all sorted for the cup game against Brighton when they come back. And the same with Son, because some big games coming up, uh, especially with Spurs looking to push on towards the top four. Uh, and you know if everything works well then it could bode well in the final few months of the season then what everyone wants in the final few months is some fresh faces of the club so we'll lead in nicely into transfers 11 days left now in the market Spurs no movement in terms of income into the moment we have seen one outgoing this week and that is Dylan Markenday he's gone to Blackburn Rovers I think he actually played last night against Hull Came off the bench. I'm not sure how long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they lost 2-0 at Hull. Uh, he was on the bench and came off. Not sure how long he played, but good good for him uh, to get uh, some minutes under his belt at Blackburn. I think it's, uh, it's a move for him. What could uh, turn out very well? Because Blackburn are in a good position to kick on and, you know, win promotion to the Premier League for the first time in... I think 10 years 22 minutes he came on the 68th minute that's good for him and yeah. you know it, he'll be pushing for a start now because so they've got a good young team uh, under Tony Mowbray and I think it will be a move that will work out well for him I know a lot of Tottenham fans potentially quite sad to see such a talented player go who scored for fun and got a number of assists in Premier League 2 this season but there's just no route for him through into the first team because you've got Harry Kane, Bergwijn, Lucas Moura, Sonny, Lacelso's played out wide this season. Delhi has, and Markenday's just been Brian Hill, yeah. And Markenday was early on the bench at Crystal Palace in the league. So, yeah. In terms of, I was going to say, Spurs are in an awkward position with Dylan that he. He is a very, very good young player, really is. Um, a tremendous last 18 months. The last 18 months has been such a development spurt for him. He's done so well. But ultimately, he wasn't going to sign a new deal. You know, they offered him one. I think I'm, I'm, I understand they offered him a couple of improved deals. They kept kind of trying to up it to try and keep him. But he, and credit to him, I think, as well, wanted to go and play, they wanted a slightly less blocked chance to go and play regular football. And, you know, with Blackburn, like you've said, he, they could be in the Premier League next season and, and he could be a Premier League footballer. Um, and weirdly, I think, if you're not, if you're going to lose a young player who's played 15 minutes for the first team to actually, I know this isn't what anyone wants to hear, but to have managed to get a a nominal fair bit of money for a player that age, I think, and who hasn't played much, and what I'm told is a big sell-on fee. They probably actually did quite well transfer-related to make the best of a bad situation. But I, I don't know. There's a couple of ways to look at it. His, his path has definitely been blocked. Um, I'd say while it's very harsh and it's a brutal way of looking at it, when you're a young player, any chance you get you have to take. And unfortunately, I feel that with the 15 minutes or so he got, he didn't quite make an impact. And yes, I 100% agree. People are probably screaming right now, how can you judge off of 15 minutes? Um, but 
and especially in a struggling Tottenham team. But unfortunately, it's just kind of the way of the world right now is that if you get any opportunity, you have to take it at that high level of football. Some people might you know, suggest that the Europa Conference League isn't the high level of football, but you know what I mean. Um, and, you know, and if you're also going to be slightly, slightly negative, I suppose, he's had the last four Spurs managers. None of them have really given him that opportunity. He's trained with the first team a lot, but no one's really kind of pushed him through to, to have more of a regular um, involvement, I guess, in the first team. Um, and I, I hope, I don't, I, well, yeah, I do. I think, I'm going to go as far as saying, not even I hope, I think Dylan Markenday will become a, a very good professional footballer. I think he's ever had a terrific career, hopefully, ahead of him. Very talented. Um, but just, I think, you know, if you're him and you're thinking, oh, maybe I'll get a shot now. And then they spend, what, 25 million on Brian Hill to play in essentially the role that you'll play in. I think you probably know that you're not going to succeed. And it's a shame because, you know, he created history, didn't he? He became the first British Asian to, to play for the club, which was incredible. Uh, you know, really, really cool thing to be able to say. Um, and hopefully opens the door for, for, for more British Asians as well to play for the club. Um, but yeah, as a Tottenham fan growing up as well, it's a shame not to see him do that. You know, who knows what the future holds? Maybe one day he will return. But uh, at the moment, yeah, it'll be with Blackburn. Tony Mowbray, I watched his interview about him. He's very excited about him. Um, they gave him quite a big deal. It's a three-year deal with an option for a fourth, which for a young player who's only played 15 minutes of first-team football is a hell of a deal. Um, and I hopefully that looks like it shows the um, the belief they have in him. So, yeah, no, I'm sure you and I will be keeping a very close eye on what he does there. And, uh, yeah, and hopefully either he comes back to Tottenham or he makes a huge, expensive move somewhere and Tottenham get a big old chunk of that. Yes, that'd be very nice. Shall we get on to incomings now? As I yeah. said, 11 Sorry, days left. <laughs> <laughs> 11 days left in the transfer window. Still no movement in terms of incomings. Fabio Paratici was at the game last night on the pitch uh, before the game. He was on his phone, as usual. Uh, we saw that quite a lot in the summer. And I uh, that was a joke last night. I put a photo of him <laughs> out as a joke, and you get that range of emotions. Some people get so angry. Why do I care if he's on his phone? It means nothing. He's playing Wordle, or he's playing this Candy Crush, or he's talking to his mum, he's ordering a pizza. We get it all. And it's a bit like, well, it's just, just to signify that he's doing something. We don't know what it is. So in terms of incomings then, you're fairly confident that Tottenham will have at least a couple of new faces in before the end of the month? Yeah, the word I'm getting out of the club is they're confident there will be new faces. Um, at least one. <laughs> that got taken slightly out of context on Twitter. Well, not out of context, but... I think some of the aggregator Twitter accounts took from my article this morning and said something like, you know, yeah, essentially those th those lines that, you know, there's confidence within Spurs that Antonio Conte will have at least one new face in his squad by the time the window closes, if not more. And I think people saw the one and just zeroed in on the word one. It's like, one, one, kind of thing. It's like, well, no, I'm thinking it's like at least one is the hope. Um, you know, it's no secret. We've spoken about it loads of times now that, 
the three priority positions they've decided on with Conte is um, a striker, a right wing back and a central midfielder. Central midfielder being the one that Conte especially asked for um, in terms of he felt that was another option that needed uh, addressing. Um, I did find it quite strange that last night when he was talking about Bergwijn, he said about we have a lack of creative players in the squad. So I'm not entirely sure one of the why one of the priorities is not a creative player. Then um, you know, you and I have banged this drum, and I certainly did when the transfer window closed last summer. That why didn't they buy an advanced playmaker, an Ericsson type? The only thing I can presume is that perhaps. We know that Conte's central midfielders, he wants someone who can not only defend but also get up the pitch and assist and score goals. Um, and perhaps that's the thinking, that that new central midfielder would perhaps be a creative outlet as well. Um, you know, We know Frank Kessie is one that's been uh, heavily mooted. Spurs are certainly are very interested in him. You know, I think they've explored, or they certainly will continue to explore, the possibility of trying to bring him in this month. I just think it's a very difficult deal to do for such a number of reasons, really, that first off, he's away at the African Cup of Nations until if Ivory Coast are successful, February, he's not going to be back anytime soon. Um, I think you said, you told me they're through, aren't they? Um, I, haven't, I didn't look at the latest round of results, so, but I think they're through, aren't they, to the next round. Um, so, Geographically, he's nowhere near. Um, then on top of that, you've got the fact that AC Milan challenging for the title right now. They're right up there in second place, aren't they? So as a player, would you want to leave in a season when potentially you could end it with a league winner's medal to come, you know, to finish your time at that club? Then thirdly, if you're a player who's about to be, you know, a free transfer in the summer. You're giving up a lot of money to move halfway through. Um, you know, we've seen it happen. We saw Christian Eriksen do it, of course, when he left Spurs for Inter Milan. But ultimately, you're giving up probably much bigger wages. You're giving up a big chunk of a signing on fee because the club who's buying you has to pay a fee rather than get you for free. Um, so it all makes it very difficult, but certainly. In terms of providing something a bit different from midfield, you know, he scored. So like five is it five goals in? I think it's five, maybe five in. It's, it's contributed a fair few goals, I think, from midfield for AC Milan this season. You know, I've seen him. You know, he, he can play that defensive midfield role, but certainly he he gets up the pitch and scores goals as well. Um, but I just wonder how difficult that deal is to do right now. Um, obviously, it would be a cheaper deal if Spurs could get it done. Um, but yeah, no, certainly in terms of central midfield, I think that's. Uh, I think that's who Spurs would probably look at as a primary option, but they will have other options as well. I think you've got to look at it from a AC Milan perspective as well. Given you said they're in the title race, I think they're a couple of points behind Inter. Inter do have a game in hand. Uh, AC haven't won the league since 2011, so they've got a really good chance this year. So it looks like it's just going to be between Inter, AC, and then potentially Napoli as well. So the did they weaken their side by selling one of the star players just to bring some money in? Or do you just risk it and let him go on the free transfer? But, I mean, it's a tricky one given where he's at the moment in Cameroon at the Africa Cup of Nations because any club wanting to sign him, 
did they then have to send out the medical team to do a medical over there? Or do you just go, yeah, we'll just sign him then, we'll do a medical, you know, <laughs> later on? It's a big risk. Very big, but, I mean, he's been playing well for AC, so... I, I don't know. I don't know what you do in that situation. Well, we were trying to work it out because I think Brian Hill was signed. Was it bef- just before he went to the Olympics or while he was in the Olympics? I can't remember. I can remember him. He he sent a video from Tokyo, didn't he? Uh, his yeah. first message to Tottenham fans, but I can't remember whether where yeah, he actually was, he was at the time. Because I think I, yeah. I remember we were we were kind of being told at the time that it was it would be difficult to get it tied up while he was away at the Olympics, but they managed to do it. So, yeah, I mean, it, we're not saying it's impossible at all, just saying it makes it all more difficult. Uh, it really does. Um, but right wing back, I think we know there's a certain man they want. Uh, and, and who would that be, Mr Guest? Uh, that'd be Adama Traore, who got his first Premier League goal at the weekend against Southampton. Uh, yeah, he's one what's uh, he's divided the opinion of fans, shall we say. Uh, he's a player, perhaps, that she's wanted before at Juventus. I think last night it'd have probably been handy, given the amount of space there was down the right at times to exploit. Yeah, well, well, I mean, we've seen it so far this season. Conte's getting a tune out of Ben Davis, Eric Dyer, Harry Winks. They just seem to have gone on another level. So, you know, perhaps he can do it with Traore if he comes in. Uh, yeah. Then is Traore 18 months left on his contract so you can get him for uh, a bit cheaper than you would have been able to get him in the summer? Yeah, the figure I keep yeah. getting told is 20 million will do it. 20 million will get him from Wolves. I mean, there's been some noises coming out from Wolves about them potentially wanting to keep him till the summer. Um, you know, I don't know whether that's just playing the game, you know, whether to, to kind of put a little bit of pressure on Spurs to actually make a bid. Um, you know, I keep hearing that Spurs would prefer to do a loan deal with an obligation to buy him, just to kind of... I don't know, it's a funny one. I mean, in one aspect, it pushes off the bulk of the payment, but then in reality, most transfers are done in instalments anyway. So I don't know how different that would be to an instalment transfer. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Look, people know my views on Traore and that he is about as much end product in a Premier League game as probably you or I. But no, that's 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 wildly exaggerating. You know, he does he does he does contribute goals and assists, just not enough for a player of his quality. He's got skill. He's got a lot of power, a lot of pace. Um, I think he should do a lot more. But I 100% agree with you that if there's anyone that can make him better, it's Antonio Conte. Um, I just hope... I kind of get the right wing-back idea, although some Wolves fans and Wolves reporters I've told to have told me, good luck if you're going to get him defending. Um, they're, they're kind of like they can't really see that that's going to be something that works. But because my fear, I think, would be if he's not going to be a right wing back, then I do see the likes of Bergvine and Hill having their path blocked. And yeah, I, I just I do. I have quite high hopes for both of them. Um, you know, some might not share that, but I, I think that I, I wouldn't want to block two younger players with a player who's 
been in the Premier League a few years now and and hasn't really pulled up trees, um, although he looked strong enough that he probably could pull up trees. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, my, my gut feeling is that if Spurs really want him, they'll get that deal done. I don't think they can muck around. Um, you know, there's a kind of, it didn't push the boat out for him in the summer, but if they really want him now and they feel he can make a big difference to Conte's squad. I mean, it's worth pointing out as well, when I asked Conte about transfers on Tuesday, wasn't it, just before the game, it came out with this really interesting statement about, I mean, to paraphrase wildly, he was almost saying, just get me anyone. Get me someone. It was kind of like that. He was talking about, um, you know, January being difficult, but then he said something about along the lines of, it's not, it kind of comes to a stage almost where it's not, you know you're not always going to get the best opportunity, but you still have to do it. So, yeah, I don't know whether that entirely meant just please, anyone will do, I need numbers. And he kind of said that last night. We need more numbers. We just need to get something done. Um, I don't know whether that's his analysis of Adama Traore, just anyone will do, which would be a bit harsh, I think. Um, but, yeah, it's a funny one. And, and, you know, I think they also have an interest in is it Jed Spence, the, uh, the young lad at um, Forest at the moment, isn't he? Is yeah, Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough player, Middlesbrough yeah. right back on one at Forest. Yeah, I think I like him. I think he's probably more one for the long, long term future, and, and obviously is a is a natural wing back. Um, I do wonder whether you know if if they if they feel that I don't know. I don't know. It's a difficult one. It is a difficult one. He clearly is a talented player, but obviously very unproven, and whether Conte needs more younger players, I don't get that impression. What I've always been told about Conte is that he's someone who, he likes to use players that he knows what he's going to get from. He will use young players, he'll use them at the right times, but ultimately he wants to know what he's getting from his players. And maybe in someone like Spence, that's someone that, you know, you maybe you'd buy and loan back out and give him more kind of time to develop it, like Skippy kind of ended up with him, um, albeit as an academy player. Um... The most interesting one for me is the strike position because it's the one position where we've heard so little about. You know, there's so few, there's the odd link pops up once in the blue moon uh, with someone, but in terms of actually kind of on the ground hearing who they're going from, and I think personally that says more than anything about how difficult that is, that position. I think it's, you know, I know people don't like to hear it, but especially at Tottenham, trying to bring in someone that is happy to play mostly second fiddle to Harry Kane is difficult. It, it like narrows your window or market, as it were, of who you can get. Um, and I just wonder whether that, that's more kind of telling of, of Tottenham's struggles in trying to find someone. And I wonder maybe that's what Conte, when he speaks about just anyone, um, or, or any opportunity kind of thing. I wonder whether that's talking about the striker position. What would you say? If you could only get two of those three priority positions, which two would you go for as in which positions? Well, I know a striker who you can have if you want on a free transfer. Solomon Rondon, if you want him. <laughs> Spurs, Spurs looked at him years back. <laughs> I don't know if they'd want him now, but... Oh, this was the other uh, thing I was going to suggest. This was my theory. I wondered... If you got Traore, could you play him when needed as a striker if Harry Kane needed a rest? 
look, I know he's not the world's greatest goal scorer, but in terms of a physical presence and speed, surely as a hold-up man, he actually wouldn't be a bad makeshift option if you had to pick you know, only the right wing-back and a midfielder. Could he double up? But if, like you've said before, if his finishing isn't that good <laughs> and he's not creating assists, then would you really want him in that position on the yeah, end of by that the logic, <laughs> If he's not a wing-back, he can't defend and he doesn't set up chances, don't sign him as a wing-back. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't want him running at you. He would scare centre-backs as he does with the full-backs because you see it every game. It's like two players on him rather than one. Uh yeah, I suppose he could play up front. For me, the positions I think last night showed need a, a right wing back. Samerson just wasn't on it yesterday. I think he's still young. He's not played as a wing back a lot in his career. You you have got to give him time. It will take him 12 to 18 months to adapt to the Premier League. I think there's a decent player there, maybe not first choice, maybe someone who can come on and you know have an impact in games and play in the cup competitions the other position for me striker I think you can get away without a central midfielder out of the three Winks is playing well uh, Hoibieg Skip Lacelso can play centrally as well and especially if you're going to play 3-4-3 three, three at times as they have done for the majority of Conte's reign then you only need two central midfielders who will be starting so striker for me it's a priority it's been a priority ever since Fernando Lorente left just never brought in another out and out strike and you know it, it proved costly two years ago when Kane injured his hamstring at Southampton and the last thing you want is to not bring a new striker in this month and it proves costly again because Spurs are in a good position to get back in the Champions League places at the moment if they can carry on that form and I know you mentioned it in your talking points. Surely now, given the position they're in, they've not been in the Champions League for two years, spend money, make sure you're getting that top four. Yeah, I think so. I keep hearing the same old noises that, you know, Conte was told that money would be tighter in this window um, than it was in the summer for for Nuno uh, because of the amounts they spent and are still to spend on Romero and possibly Gallini. But I just think you look at it and there was probably a real expectation that next season was the one. But when you look at it, I mean, I just looked at the form table there. Spurs are second in the form table in their last eight matches in the Premier League, second only to Man City. And it's like you think, I get it that you want to build foundations and that the summer is probably more the window to do that. But there's a very real chance that if you properly help Conte now, just give him a couple of decent signings to kind of like prop up that squad a bit, I think Spurs could make top four. Uh, and I actually, before the season started, and probably even a couple of months in, was probably thinking fifth was probably the highest Spurs could maybe get. I think under, I think Conte changes things. I think I've been so impressed with the way he works with the players and the things you can see that he's doing with them. Um, I think, you know, I think you give him a couple and it's almost like speculating to accumulate because I think, I think they could get that fourth place. And then suddenly with the Champions League and the riches you get from the Champions League, you're more than paying back your investment in those players. Um, and look, let's be honest, if Paratic gets it right and those couple of players are players that will work for the long term under Conte, 
they're only players that you then don't have to get in the summer anyway. <laughs> so it's almost like an advanced purchase. Um, and we know the way Daniel Levy does deals. They'll be structured up to the eyeballs. It won't cost Spurs probably too much right now. Uh, that's what he certainly tries to do most of the time. So, yeah, I, I think you have to. I think they do need to get some players out the door still, not only for financial reasons, but I think to to um, make sure the squad isn't bloated in certain areas. Um, but as always is the case, Spurs just struggle to get players out the door. It's really weird. I mean, who do you think we'll say goodbye to by the end of this window? Tough one, really, because at the start of the month, you were thinking Matt Doherty would definitely be one of the players to go. Uh, Delhi, Joe Roden, Joe needs a loan. He's just he not going to play. He needs a loan. I wouldn't sell him because I think there's a, a very good player in there. He just needs Premier League experience because he's just not had that since he's been at Tottenham. So I think Joe Roden needs to go out on loan. Doherty, after yesterday, did they keep him? I don't know. It's a tough one. It really is a tough one, especially because, well, we 11 days away now. I know there's January, all your movement does tend to be the final week of the window and very few clubs have brought in players so far. I think you're looking at Villa have a couple, Hebert brought three in, Newcastle two. None of the big clubs have brought them in so far. Your, uh, your top four clubs, top six, yeah. yeah, hold on, hold on to Paratici now. He's got a He really yeah. does because this is the other thing: is when Conte is asking for more bodies in his squad <laughs> to let players go out the door, you've got to make sure that you're not weakening yourself as well. It's it's like the Bergvine stuff, you know. Bergvine perhaps was a potential, but now Conte is making it very clear: like, no, <laughs> no, don't let him go. He's someone that we don't have players like that in our squad. Don't let him go. So um, it's such a crucial time for Paratici. You know, fans, there's still a bit of unrest. You know, we heard it last night that the, the chance for Levy out in that first half, there were a couple of them. Um, obviously, forgotten about the final whistle temporarily because of how incredible the end of the game was. But no doubt, if the next 10, 11 days is is not fruitful for Tottenham. We know where the finger's going to be pointed um, and it will be on the club and, and that's especially Daniel Levy at the top of it all. So they need to do something. If Look, Conte is not a man that's shy in saying what he thinks. Can you, If he's already right now being very clear that he wants players, can you imagine what he'll be like if he doesn't get the players? <laughs> he will be very vocal. The pressure will only increase kind of almost feel like, uh, I'm not going to go as far to say they've got a gun held to their head or anything, but, you know, the pressure is on both Paratici and Levy, I think, to get this, get stuff done. Um, because it would turn, if suddenly Conte found himself, it was difficult if Kane did get that injury and they didn't have a natural striker up there. I think some things could turn very toxic. And for the first time in a long time, I don't think the fans will be calling for the manager to be out, which is very rare at Tottenham. All fans pretty much, and sorry, all football clubs, I'm not certainly not just saying Tottenham fans, but all football clubs, when things go wrong, the go-to is the manager's rubbish, he needs to be changed. I think so many managers have been changed in the last two years, I think only people will look at the top of the club. Um, and that gets very awkward. So 
I do. I feel there's this huge pressure now in a very difficult window to make things happen. Um, hopefully it does because, you know, like you say, things always happen in the international break. Hopefully they do because Tottenham really need it in the next uh, 10 days or so. Right. Plenty uh, we've discussed today. Lots of things actually well over an hour. So I think we'll wrap it up there uh, as ever. Just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. We'll, you'll be at the game on Sunday, won't you, at Stamford yes. Bridge. So we'll have all the uh, coverage from the game against Chelsea coming up. Then we'll be back early next week to reflect on that. And uh, well, there's no game after that. So we'll just be looking ahead to the final week of the transfer window. And big week going up, really, uh, for Spurs as they look to bring players in and move some on. So, yeah, as ever, thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Golden Guest Top Tottenham. Just as ever, keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.